Welcome to episode 17 of Storm the Norm, the fortnightly podcast where we pick up norms that come in the way of businesses succeeding in a disruptive world. I am Narayan. And I am Anisha Motwani. And today, Narayan, before we proceed further, I want to share an exciting new update with our audience. Starting with this episode, we are proud to announce our association with one of the leading consulting companies in the world, GT, Grand Thornton. Going forward, Storm the Norm will be powered by insights from GT Bharat and the rich and varied perspectives they bring to the table from the world of business. And let me tell you, this is a wide-ranging partnership that's going to extend into many other areas as we go forward. And to seal this partnership, we have the CEO of GT Bharat as our special guest in this episode. But more on him later. On to today's episode now. Anisha, I'm mindful of the fact that the norm we picked to storm today is a much discussed one. But like many taken for granted norms, I believe it's time we took a closer look at it and unearthed not just what's behind it, but also what it takes to find success in this context. We're talking, of course, of challenger brands, mm-hmm. but also specifically this particular norm about challenger brands that they have to swim considerably more vigorously than the brand leader. just to remain in the same place you know what my biggest peeve is that many hmm. brands seem to think that merely not by being the leader is a sufficient ground for being a challenger by <laughs> that logic all followers should qualify as challengers isn't it <laughs> so what aspects about the challenger brands do you see as being taken for granted let me hear you first you have a way of being so direct anisha Uh, I'm going to use a couple of anecdotes to make my points. Mm-hmm. Malcolm Gladwell has written an entire book about it, where he busts many myths that merely being David, i.e., a smaller underdog, mm-hmm. is sufficient to beat a larger Goliath. Mm-hmm. And the most fundamental of those myths is the role of circumstances. Now, Goliath, being an unusually large person, would likely have had some traits of gigantism, including short-sightedness and slow movement. and to that the fact that their combat was not at close quarters or hand to hand and you see how lucky david skill with the slingshot was in mm-hmm. circumstances so the first myth surrounding challenger brands is that being the underdog is a sufficient and sometimes necessary condition now here's an additional example pepsi has always been seen as the quintessential underdog to coke right mm-hmm. but did you know that pepsico's revenues are double that of the coca cola companies As of 2019, PepsiCo stood at 67 billion dollars, while Coke was at 32 billion dollars. Who exactly is the underdog here? Absolutely, and both of these are striking observations and seem to reinforce the veracity of the norm that challenger brands need to work harder to stay in the same place, circumstances and luck, of course, notwithstanding. And neither market standing nor size may make them a challenger. So what then? I don't think I've used cricket as an analogical tool so far in our episodes, but I think it's probably pretty apt here. Uh, it's tempting. The 1983 men's Indian cricket team was the classical underdog that came from nowhere to dethrone an until then invincible West Indies. But I have another team in mind when it comes to satisfying multiple conditions of being a true challenger, and that's the Sri Lankan cricket team of the 1996 Cricket World Cup. They were a decided underdog, a much much smaller. Uh, as as a cricketing nation, and in the midst of the worst days of the civil war, and they definitely did not stay in the same place at the end of the tournament. So we all know that meaningful challenges can strengthen and give people's lives such a powerful purpose that can act like a propeller, 
and and your example just bears that out also picking up the thread between the various examples you've cited narayan what is amply clear is that it's high time this norm was stopped isn't it exactly um i guess we'll find out if we should have let this sleeping dog lie or it's worth waking it up i think it's worth we it do. okay we'll go with that for now uh we do have an expert as always to shed light on it first and i referred to him at the beginning uh, as always this is an expert who brings his lived insights and lived experience with him on what it takes to be a challenger brand and not end up in the same place after expending all that effort well let's see if he's up to that challenge please welcome mr vishesh chandyok ceo of gt bharat vishesh is a 15 plus year veteran of gt organization having held global roles and pioneering many practices that have been adopted across the organization worldwide including helping define the brand's promise of an instinct for growth vishesh is a voracious reader and clearly has an instinct for taking up new challenges all the time we're delighted to have vishesh with us to unpack and storm the norm around challenger brands today thank you vishesh for joining us and we are delighted to have you not just as a guest but as a partner in this episode yeah thank you uh, narayan and thank you anisha i think uh, uh, you know for a firm that has always stood to challenge the status quo um, you know as what we call status go at grand thornton uh, nothing could be more appropriate than partnering with uh, people who want to storm the norm or storm norms generally so uh, absolutely delighted Uh, that we're doing this together uh, great to be here with both of you today um i guess going back to narayan's question that challenger brands have to swim considerably more vigorously than the leader to stay in the same place i i, I you know obviously partly agree and partly obviously vigorously disagree um you're definitely challenger brands have to you know swim considerably harder but it's definitely not to stay in the same place if anything it's the incumbents who feel uh, or would feel that they are really on a treadmill staying on the same place challenger brands are the ones who are gaining that ground uh, over the incumbents so therefore you know i agree with the first part yes you have to swim considerably harder no question about that uh, and you ought to be willing to you know do, the, do that if you want to challenge anything challenge any norm uh, but you're definitely making much more progress quicker in a challenger than you would as an incumbent it certainly feels that way yeah no i was just going to assume one of the things which is that you said and i love that you uh, right out of the gate you challenged the norm itself as a challenger uh, i guess my my follow up was actually going to be is it because the challenger is a couple of paces behind the leader is that why there is room for pro forward movement or uh, it's irrespective of where the brand leader is i think the brand leader category leader territory leader you know has established a certain size scale for anybody else who wants to play in that space there would always be distance to to catch you don't have to do exactly the same thing in order to you know catch that in fact you know if you were to do exactly the same thing you would most likely never catch that brand leader yeah and in in many ways then that's not storming the norm you know i mean you would just follow the norm if you were to do the same yeah, thing yeah at, at the same time you know i'm a fan of copying i think there's nothing wrong with copying people you know uh, hesitate uh, that okay there is a very big player in a space but look at uber and lift right uber is a very big scaled up player now a startup in itself in mm-hmm. some ways 
but there's you know, the opportunity for Lyft and there's the opportunity for Ola within that same marketplace. I, I, I you know, think the same opportunity exists even in complex spaces like airlines, right? We have a big scaled up airline, Indigo, really successful. India could probably have two other such airlines and you know, there is a playbook out there on how to create a successful airline that you know, at least Indigo and SpiceJet uh, have shown in different ways. There's no reason why a challenger brand could not come up and copy some of the things they've done, uh, but they can't copy everything and still be successful. So, so you're referring to getting creative with copying, because if you just copy, then you are the me too, and you would always struggle to get a little bit of the space where they already have a dominant share. So creative copying is uh, you have you're giving a license for that. And that's something the challenger brands can do is what you're saying. Absolutely. I, absolutely. And you know, I think so size and scale does matter. Um, and at the same time, you always have to know beyond that certain size, you know, size is absolutely irrelevant. You know, you look at that airline space again that I just quoted, you know, when Virgin entered the market, British Airways was a certain, you know, massive size. They came and changed the game uh, that you know, your journey actually begins at home. It doesn't begin when you, you know, just arrive at the airport and they change that entire customer experience. I don't think anybody asks today how many planes does British Airways have or what revenues they have versus Virgin before deciding which one they want to fly. People fly one or the other based on first availability and second, the experience. So in your space, Vishesh, you know, you are a challenger brand taking on what we call in India, the big four. The market is dominated. They're almost like the big four and there are others. So what is it that you are doing differently? Yeah, so I've always uh, you know, considered the so-called big four tag a fallacy in itself that mm -hmm. you know, we just seem to assume without questioning or understanding what is this big four. Uh, it's a tag that was relevant at a different time in a different business, in a different market. All the four firms aren't global partnerships, but independent country by country, so-called member firms, right, in, in each country, uh, which is the same for us and others in the marketplace. It used to be big, 12 became eight, six, five, now four. Um, and I would hesitate to say it is a dying breed. Uh, therefore, anything that you know, goes down that clip would be a dying breed just by that number, right? You can you can see that. Uh, certainly, you know, the so-called big four still dominate the listed company market uh, in some Western markets, but that's not the position in China. That was never the position in India. And to whatever extent it is gravitating towards that in India is only because of this, you know, misimpression that big equals quality. Of course, uh, individually, each of those firms are credible, capable uh, in audit and beyond. Uh, mm -hmm. But there are many others who are equally capable of it, if not more. Mm -hmm. uh, and even in terms of size, uh, let me challenge another norm. In India, for example, our affiliate is now the fourth largest audit firm by market cap audited, by revenues audited, by audit fees, you know, for NSE listed companies. So are we the, uh, you know, Indian big four? Uh, therefore, you know, I believe one is to see the position and capability in each area of practice in the local market versus just assume, you know, that the big are capable for all things and in all markets. It's actually uh, it's a good segue, if I may 
jump into the second question. Um, I'm going to use a cliche over here, which we're all familiar with. I think the foremost advantage that a challenger usually has is that it's it's not about the size of the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the dog, right? And uh, coupled with that is the is the advantage of agility and that speed that a challenger has versus at least the stereotype of a lumbering, slow-moving market leader, if you will, right? Um, but more and more, maybe uh, to borrow another concept from physics, it's neither just speed alone or size alone, but momentum, which is a factor of both the energy behind uh, mass as well as the speed with which the velocity with which it moves, uh, and which renders maybe size irrelevant uh, a lot of times, like you were saying. Um, is that is that something that you prioritize, either speed or momentum uh, at, at GT? Mm. Well, I'll refer again, you know, I touched on it earlier. I think, you know, size and scale does matter, uh, Narayan, but I think certainly beyond a certain size, it's absolutely irrelevant. Uh, I, and what that certain size is depends on the market you want to serve. Uh, you know, speed matters to the market of fast growth companies. Uh, you know, the, uh, and again, within that, uh, you know, speed itself, I would say, is the ability for a service provider to mirror the agility of each client without compromising quality, right? Uh, now, I, you know, again, I go back to my example of airlines. You know, Indigo talks about that fast turnaround time in order to achieve the customer objective of on-time performance, right? Without, of course, compromising quality. Is that on-time performance as important to someone, you know, traveling uh, uh, with a full-service airline? Probably not, right? And that's why. Uh, it's important to you know be clear about your market and what's important to your market. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, speed agility has been a big differentiator for us at Grand Thornton. Uh, you know, the ability to deploy teams at short notice when someone calls you on a Friday and says, "I want to begin a diligence on Monday," or you know, "I want a proposal uh, tomorrow." Uh, the uh, ability to deliver to tight timelines, to find solutions versus throw problems at clients. Um, I think that agility comes from both structure and it comes from culture. I think mm. you know, there are, are there many layers protecting the organization, the firm, the company, and putting the client at the end uh, versus you know people across those layers working together in the interest of the client and still protecting the organization. Mm. You know, is the culture one of listening to understand, or is that culture listening to respond to uh, to clients. I think incumbents, you know, offer uh, often suffer from trying to behave as if they are the adult and their clients are the children who ought to listen and be taught. Mm -hmm. Right? I, I know, uh, you know, most of us have children. Uh, <laughs> even children don't mm -hmm. like to, you know, listen or be taught okay. anymore. But I keep reminding our people to, you know, keep our challenger brand culture of a relationship of equals with our client personnel alive. You know, to listen to their yeah. point of view with an open mind. Uh, you know, do leaders, you know, within the firm roll up their sleeves and are they willing to listen with an open mind to help solve client issues or wait to receive things through a waterfall of filters for approval eventually? Right. That those are the differences between, mm -hmm. you know, do you feel like, you know, a challenger or do you feel like an incumbent? Uh, and I think it comes down to, you know, remembering to value each and every client, each and every customer as if. You know, they are your first customer. They are your only customer. Mm -hmm. uh, I think if, if you can preserve that, 
you know, then you can keep growing and size and scale would not matter. There is a certain amount of reassurance and trust that these big players, the so-called market leaders bring. Okay, and inherent in, in using their services or products is that there is there's trust and there's consistency and quality. What would make me stop and consider somebody else? Carl, again, you know, probably draw reference to another favorite book of mine, The mm-hmm. Milkshake Moment. Uh, you know, The Milkshake Moment uh, is fascinating. It's about stories on how when businesses become big, they are forced to adopt policies that actually end up stopping people at the you know, people who are at the front line of serving customers to focus on following process versus meeting unique customer demands. And I just said, you know, customers have unique demands. Um, I, I given, you know, and the person, the author, you know, gives an example of his enjoying a vanilla milkshake, uh, and he travels a lot. And most hotel, uh, most hotels, when he checks in, asks room service, uh, you know, first thing he wants to order is a vanilla milkshake, and most of them say they don't have it on their menu. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and you know, therefore, uh, his you know the standard answer to his asking for a vanilla milkshake, milkshake is no, not on the menu. But all of them are at the same time willing to serve him a glass of milk and a scoop of vanilla ice cream. Right, mm-hmm. uh, uh, once he asks for that, and therefore, you know, if only our people were taught not to say things are not possible, but let me check what I can do. Vishesh, one last one from my side, you know. Your future aspiration, brand leader or brand challenge, and why? I, I you know, much prefer the place uh, as an underdog in each fight uh, versus the incumbent and believing you're destined to win. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if you know we are the favorite and the stronger one, which is now often the case, mm-hmm. uh, that you know really stops us from taking things for granted and becoming complacent. Mm-hmm. Uh, being comfortable with losing, uh, you know, should not be a problem, and I, I believe is not a problem. And I've, you know, at the same time, uh, never believed that we ought to win everything at any cost. Mm. Uh, At the same time, one has to have the culture to learn from every loss so that, you know, we don't keep making the same mistakes as cliched as that, as that may be. So, uh, you know, I'm very comfortable, uh, you know, always having that challenger brand attitude, irrespective of, you know, now becoming a leader, if not the leader in many areas of practice. Yeah, absolutely. Lots to chew on, Vishesh. I think you just stormed this norm so well and I'm delighted to have you with us. And uh, thank you once again for for sparing time and doing this. Thank you, uh, Anisha. Thank you, Narayan. It was a pleasure. Anisha, listening to Vishesh, I think I'm even more convinced that the norm won't remain unchallenged for too long, even if prevalent conversation seems to indicate otherwise. I like the way he picked it apart methodically with really relatable examples that seem to have on the outside nothing to do with business, but I think they were very relevant. Indeed. And so, you know, as usual, what stood out for you from all the points that he made? Do not treat any tactic or framework as sacrosanct. Do not fall prey to formulae. And above all, to take neither success nor failure for granted. What about you, Anisha? What's your take on what Vishesh brought to the table and what STN hacks do you have this time around? You know, I'll start with this, Narayan. Being a challenger is a mindset. It's a Mm. state of the mind and not the state of the market. Mm. Like we started off in the beginning, how do we Mm. define challenger brands? Just by being a mere Mm. follower doesn't make you a challenger. Mm. Mm. So it's about an organization with a team having ambitions that are bigger than their resources and challenging Mm. the codes of the category or the cultural context to create a criteria for choice that favors them rather than the established leaders. 
they need mm. to stand out you know i'm going to break the flow a little bit but thank you so much for reiterating that i think it bears repeating multiple times but how do you use that as a base for stm hacks we've always been giving hacks to businesses and telling them that you can storm this norm too if you are a challenger brand this is what you need to do to be able to succeed and in that spirit the first one for me on this particular norm is about creativity of innocence hmm the very first foundation of challenge is not experience but innocence the ability to step back and question all the old assumptions are fresh challenge them in fact and see which can really withstand the inquisition hmm. to counter the reassurance and trust enjoyed by market leaders they need more influential currency of curiosity desire reevaluation isn't it hmm in fact one of the other things that you can do is zero in on the benchmark leader or the leaders that you want to question and pick hmm. out the individual elements of what the leader represents because there is a certain reason why people prefer them and it's out there in public domain so hmm. if you can focus on what you would like to challenge and use it as a blueprint to define your own unique identity so in many mm. ways the pepsi and coke example that you shared bears mm. out or even mm. the virgin atlantic example from vishesh mm. so in that way challenger brands can capitalize on their creativity and imagination while mature brands win when it comes to their lineage and experience you know i like how you've used the word in a sense and here such a fresh take i mean usually experience is always uh, seen as more important than than a certain fresh naivety but i love the creativity of innocence what's the second one the second one is about the power of reframing okay the challenger brands have the luxury of looking at the category with a completely new lens and reframing the problem that they are trying to solve being able to question and shift your frame of reference is an important key to enhancing your imagination because it reveals completely different insight it takes effort it takes attention and practice but it enables you to widen your horizon and create a completely different identity for yourself mm. and it reminds me of a very famous study in 1960 i don't know if you recall the psychologist walter michel mm. he put four to six year old children alone in a room with a marshmallow and before he left the room he he would tell them that they can eat it now or if they waited for a few minutes he'll come back and give them two mm. so what do you expect kids being <laughs> four to six years they would usually just end up eating the one that they had in hand sometimes later michel tried out another experiment and he said that one way to resist the marshmallow now and get two later is to pretend that the marshmallow wasn't there mm. by changing how he prepared them for the challenge he dramatically changed their behavior now children could now wait for almost 15 minutes without eating the marshmallow because they had changed the context they mm. imagined that the marshmallow does not exist in the room mm-hmm. yeah, so what michel's study actually shows is our success depends on how we choose to see our environment the real finding of this test is how flexible people are and how easily changed if they simply just reinterpret the way they frame the situation around them beautiful example of reframing okay what's the third the third one is an advantage challenger brands which is everyone loves the underdog mm. um so how do you leverage the love of the underdog 
there is an eternal appeal of the underdog and challenger brand should know how to cash in on that everyone seems to like backing the underdog and challenger brands are usually that up against the established big boys but attempting to carve out a space for themselves so understanding the psyche of what makes underdogs tick is the key to this leverage and according to me underdogs give people hope it hmm. almost allows people to follow the journey of development and be entwined in a story and a plot line it's almost like following a series on netflix people want to see the plot twist the new characters the journey and following a story of an underdog allows others to dream and hope that one day they will achieve or accomplish change and in our lifetime narayan we've been fortunate we've seen so many mm. of these brands mm. that started like underdogs and now have mm. become like the go to mm. platforms or, or businesses mm. and uh, to that extent that has been one of the reasons why underdogs succeed so much and the same thing on the other hand because the expectations from underdogs is that they will not be as good that motivates the underdog team to therefore try harder and you know yeah. you you keep citing that famous example of so what if we are number 2 we try harder yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay all right that's three down what's the fourth uh, The fourth one is all about emotions and great storytelling. A challenger brand does not break through in a mature category by being more convenient or trustworthy. Mm. It succeeds because it offers the consumer an emotional reward or a relationship that the established brand cannot match with great storytelling. Yep. Yep. And they are highly adapt storytellers that understand the way to a consumer's heart is through an emotionally resonant narrative. Mm. Okay, and that's why you know they end up taking thought leadership vis-a-vis -vis market leadership. Yep. Okay. What's the last one? The last one, of course, is has to be with the kind of experience that you give. Finally, the rubber hits the road when you experience a challenger brand. Challenger hmm. brands do have the additional responsibility to prove themselves and show keen interest and understanding of the needs and wants of their customers, their priorities, their preferences. they must find creative ways to demonstrate that they understand what their audience needs and differentiate them at a human level to use behavior as the most important clue about what people want and more important what they need once you know what they need you can serve them the right message at the right time and drive business results so hyper personalization being there for them all the time understanding over commitment this whole mm. experience that you give them yeah has to be very personal and at a very human level and that's what makes challenger brands preferred over market leaders insightfully hacked as always anisha i want to bring back one of the examples i used in the beginning to reinforce your stn hacks mm -hmm. in the 96 cricket world cup sri lanka used the power of innocence to use your phrase mm -hmm. uh, nobody told them they couldn't go hammer and tongs at the opposition in the first 10 to 15 overs uh, a period that had been reserved for a safe and sedate start to the batting until then and that's exactly what sanat jayaswari and ramesh kalavithana did famously mm -hmm. but when they did that they also reframed how batting in limited overs cricket could be approached Absolutely. i think Sure. That combination of things made for a powerful story, one that tugged at the hearts of underdog lovers everywhere. Um, the rest, as they say, it's it's not just history actually, but how cricket is played today. Even you know, I just love the way you brought three, four hacks 
alive through this one very simple example and a very relatable example. Absolutely. Thanks, Narayan. I think the thanks are to you for articulating the hacks in the first place. Uh, I think that's a good place to wrap up episode 17 of Storm the Norm. Now, powered by insights from Grand Fountain Bharat. There are multiple places you can catch us on. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Geo7 by just searching for Storm the Norm. We're also on Saregama Carvan 2.0 devices on channel 453. This is Narayan. And Anisha. Signing off for now. We'll be back with a new episode shortly. Thank you and talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.